0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Fred Luter. He's the senior pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, in 2012 to 2014, he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention he is an old and dear friend. Brother Fred, I'm so glad to see you here this morning at Southwestern, and thank you for being our guest on Preaching Source. Thank you,
1: Brother Barrett. good to see you again, and thank you for helping me during my years as SBC president. Well, Couldn't have made
0: it without you, brother. It was my pleasure. Brother Fred, uh, Let's let's start with the first question. You began your ministry as a street preacher, and you've been the senior pastor at Franklin Avenue there in New Orleans since 1986. Uh, let me just ask you straight up, what is the secret to good preaching?
1: Mm, I don't know if there's a secret to it, but I, I think God has gifted me in that area. But if I can just put it down there maybe three things. The secret. I believe, I believe the secret of good preaching is, one, being filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, I don't think you can do this, what we call preaching, without being filled with the Spirit of God, who will give you what you need uh, uh, the, in the strength of His Spirit to uh, preach the Word of God. I think about Peter on the day of Pentecost, man, Uh how in the world did, did, did Peter do what he did? And 3,000 folk came down the aisle, man. I and mean, it's right on the day of Pentecost, right after God filled them with the Spirit of God. So I believe, first of all, you got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Secondly, I think you got to be led by the Spirit of God. You got to uh, uh, be led by the Spirit of God, or uh, what to preach, or uh, uh, what the people need, or uh, uh, what uh, subject to preach, whether doctrine or whether it's something that you need to deal with. And current day affairs. Uh, so I need to be led by the Spirit of God. God, what is it that you would want me to share? And then thirdly, being filled with the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God. And then thirdly, I think good preaching uh, happens when you're relating to the people of God, when you're relating to the people of God. Because if what you're preaching is not reaching the people in the, in the pulpits uh, uh, and in the pews, uh, I think you just, you know, just just saying words. Uh, Something has to be happening between the time the preacher preached the word of God and the hearts of the people in the pew. So those three things, being filled with the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God and relating to the people of God. I think... Putting that together makes good preaching.
0: Brother Fred, you, you have the uh, unique vantage point of not only having been in Southern Baptist life for a long time in the local church and active in the denomination, but also having seen it from the perspective of a, a president. As you think about the current conditions of preaching in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, what about Southern Baptist preaching, contemporary preaching, what about that excites you and, and what concerns you? Well, let me do the second one first.
1: The thing that concerns me, I think, I, I, I hear and see so many of our pastors and preachers trying to preach sermons, uh, trying to be politically correct. Barry, there's nowhere in the world that we can do what God has called us to do trying to be politically correct, uh, because a lot of thing in politics is not biblically right. So I've always said nothing can be politically correct if it's biblically wrong. And so uh, we have a lot of pastors and preachers who uh, want to be uh, popular. They want to be well-loved and liked, and all that is good, but not at the point of compromising the Word of God. You got to stand flat-footed, and say what god says in the word of god so that concerns me the thing that excites me is the fact that we do have a number of pastors uh in the pulpit who are preaching the inspired unadulterated word of god that's what we need Uh, our nation is in trouble our society is in trouble our churches are in trouble so we need a men of god to stand up in the pulpit and preach the word of God like God uh, instructs us to preach it, so that the hearts of lost men, women, boys, and girls can be touched. Uh, I like to say it this way: We, when we preach, we should preach so that God would be glorified, the saints of God would be edified, and lost sinners will come to repentance. That's that. That's what I see, and that's what I hope we will continue to do.
0: And, and- mm. In, in the early 2000s, I was, I was uh, visiting with you there at Franklin Avenue, and I, one of the most impressive things about the church is I remember seeing a choir loft filled yes. with men. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, just this uh, hundreds of men in your men's choir. Yeah. And the other impressive thing was the front third of the church was filled with women and children yes, who belonged to those men. And you're your ministry has been built on, I, I think the way you've stated the principle is that if you save the man, the man would save his family. Yeah. Uh, talk to us a little bit on uh, about how, how a pastor does that. How, what are the methods to accomplish that goal of reaching the man?
1: That conviction really came as a result of my life. My mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old. So I didn't have a dad growing up in my home. I didn't have a father figure growing up in my home. And as a result of that barrier, unfortunately, I made a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad choices, hanging out with guys I should not have been hanging out with, doing things I should not have been doing with, simply because my mom was working two or three jobs. I'm in the middle of five kids trying to make ends meet, and so no dad in the home. So I just literally uh, uh, got into a lot of bad uh, choices in my life. And so when I accepted Christ into my life, when I became a, a, a Christian, and particularly when I I got married and had a son of my own, I asked God, I prayed to God, God, help me to be the father in my son's life that I never had. Because I, again, I believe if you save the man, a man will save his family. And so when I went to Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, you can count them in on one hand. We didn't have any. And so I began praying that God would give me what I needed in the church to reach the men in our community, because they're in the community. We, they just wasn't coming to our church. And so one of the things that I challenged the women that were there, and the handful of men that was there, that if we're going to change this church, if we're going to change this community, we've got to reach men. We have to reach men. Because if you got a messed up man, and that man has a family, you're going to have a messed up family. A messed up man, and a messed up family, and a messed up church, you're going to have a messed up church, and so forth and so on. So you got to reach the man. I believe that in order to do that, we've got to use whatever methods we can as pastors to reach these men. My method back in the day was I use sports as a as a as a hook, as a bait to get these men into my church. I never forget I was back in the day when Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard were on top of the boxing field, man. And I I knew guys like boxing and so I ordered per view pay-per-view boxing at my home. I had to get the permission of my wife, of course. And uh, and I told her, I preached from the pulpit, my pulpit announcements. I just announced for the next month, ladies, I have all the pay per view boxing at my house. Invite your husband, invite your boyfriends, invite your baby daddies. I want all of them to come over and be there. And uh, I couldn't get five men to come, Barry, to my church on Sunday mornings. But that night of the fight, we had 25 men in the den of my home. It just blew me literally away. And uh, and so I was... Uh, uh, excited about that man, and these guys were coming uh, with the with the with the loud music in their car, with wine coolers in one hand, cigarettes, cigarette. And I had to stop at the door, and say, "Hey man, you got to leave your wine cooler. You got to put out your cigarette, man." And and none of them gave me a problem because they wanted to see uh, the boxing match. And so uh, they came on in, man, and uh, and we had a great, great, great time, man. And at the end of the fight, I said, "Hey guys, listen, I'm the new pastor at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. Your wife goes." There, your daughter goes there, your family. I, I'm trying to reach men. I believe if we save the men, we can change this community. And that following Sunday, five of those guys were at the church. I made a big deal about it in the uh, in the pulpit. Ladies surrounded them after the service. They were so impressed; those guys was that the following Sunday they brought other men with them. And I did the same thing, and it kept it kept on happening. Till we had about 50 men in the church, man. And so, uh, I suggest to pastors that use whatever you have to use to reach men. It, the message doesn't change. You still the message is still Jesus Christ. The same today, yesterday, and forevermore. But we have to change the methods to reach the men in America today.
0: I don't know anybody else else's you pay for you uh, boxing evangelistically, yes. but I'm glad to hear it, <laughs> it worked it, it
1: worked for me, man. It worked for me. And what you saw that Sunday was evident wow. of that. Mm.
0: Uh, well, the fruit, uh, there's no denying the fruit there. Absolutely. Fred when uh, Hurricane Katrina yes. hit New Orleans, yeah. you lost your home and uh you lost your church home your your church lost their home. My big question there is why why did you decide to stay in New Orleans? Wow, well, you
1: know that's I born and raised in New Orleans but I've been there all of my life, and when Katrina hit it was the first time ever that my wife and I evacuated out of the city for an extended amount of time we we were moved to Birmingham, Alabama. Our daughter was in school at Stanford University. And so we went there to spend two days with her because when you evacuate for a hurricane, you're normally going two days, and then you go back. You may not have lights. You may not have uh, all the intercept, but at least you're back in your home. But then the wa- the levees broke. When the levees broke, that just messed up thing. had five feet of water in my home, uh, nine feet of water at the church, and uh, we really did not know what we were going to do. Our congregation was scattered all across the country. I was angry with God, angry with our president, angry with our mayor that something like this can happen in our city. And uh, and we really prayed about what is it that we wanted to do. I got a phone call from the mayor of the city while I was in Birmingham and said, Pastor Luther, you're one of the leading pastors in our city. We need you to come back to New Orleans. We want to put you on the Rebuild New Orleans Committee, and uh, we're going to try to rebuild the city. So, because of that phone call and others that I talked to, I looked at my wife, I said, baby, I've got to go back. I know a lot of people are not going back, but we just cannot leave uh, the city that we grew up in, was born in, uh, just leave it like it is. So I told my wife, uh let's because she wasn't she didn't want to go back she wanted to just move on i said let's give it three years just give it three years and go back to try to help to rebuild and if it doesn't work in three years i'll move any way you want to work and so by god's grace man we went back we was on the mayor's rebuild committee we worked with other pastors and the thing about that thing after Katrina. What it did, Barry, it brought together pastors and religious leaders who never, ever worked together in our city. We had whites, blacks, Hispanic, Asians. We had Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian Catholics, guys who never really worked together. But this thing called Katrina brought us all together because all of us were dealing with the same thing. All of us, our houses were flooded, our churches were flooded, and we really needed each other. So it really started a revival in the religious community with the people of God, despite the color, the denomination, and the background, and it helped us to put all of our efforts in coming together and rebuilding the city, and I'm so glad. Fred, I
0: that. at what point in your ministry did, did you begin doing, uh, you know, just really vigorous biblical exposition?
1: Mm, that's a great question, uh, because when I go back and if I can find him and listen to one of my earlier sermons, I said, Lord, I was messing this thing up. And I started listening on the radio to a guy by the name of Tony Evans out of Dallas, Texas. And I was just so impressed with this guy. I said, man, who is this fellow? His his sermons, his uh, the way he expounded on the Scripture. And this was back in probably 89, 90. And uh, he had a, his first pastor's conference and it was called expository preaching conference and i i made reservations and started attending this conference and it literally changed my outlook on my preaching i began to see how important expository preaching was, how important it was to really look in the Word of God and not just particularly just take topics, but but dig into the Word of God. What does God say uh, about this situation? What is the Scripture saying to us? And so I started attending uh, his expository conferences. And then there was another pastor here in Dallas called Dr. E.K. Bailey. He also had a preaching conference, and so twice a year, I was coming to Tony Evans' expository preaching conference. And Dr. E.K. Bailey's is uh, a uh, institute on church growth, and both of them uh, talked about them part of expository preaching. But not only did they, they would bring, they were bringing in some of the best expository preachers from across the country. So I had a chance to listen to these guys, to hear these guys, and I, I was so I said, man. I don't know how they're doing it, but I want to do what they're doing. And it really and that, I just had a commitment to change my biblical preaching style to expository preaching, and it really made a difference. So I guess to answer would be back in, I guess, 1990, 1991 is when uh, my preaching commitment changed from just topical preaching or
0: just, just picking out a text to expository preaching. Well, good preachers listen to good preachers, and, and you mentioned two excellent preachers there. Uh, are there other preachers that you listen to now that you go to school on? I guess uh, the, the top preachers. Of course, Tony Evans is, is
1: is one that I listen to often. Uh, David Jeremiah is another one that I love listening to, and any old sermon I can get from Dr. Adrian Rogers. Man, uh, he was a master of uh, preaching, and so th- those would be my top three: uh, Tony Evans, uh, David Jeremiah, and the late Dr. Adrian Rogers.
0: Fred, what about your own uh, sermon? preparation process? Is there a particular time you study, place you study, method you study? How, how do you put your sermons together?
1: Great question. Uh, my particular time is, is at night. I'm a night person. My wife is a morning person, uh, I don't know how people get up so early in the morning. You were telling me earlier before this uh, podcast that you had a seven o'clock class, a uh, dinner preaching class. I said, man, that is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that, good. But, but uh, so I'm, I'm a night person. So I'm, I'm easily up to 12, one o'clock at night, every night. That's just And uh, my wife is going, she's normally going to be at about 10, 1030. And so that's my time. I spend my time in my study at home, can't can't do it at the church. Anytime a uh, a member see your car at the church, the oh, pastor, I just saw your car. I know I didn't have an apartment, but you know, so so I can never get it done at the church. So it's always done at home, and I have a study in my in my off in my in my home that I use the time to spend to uh, prepare. Sermons talk to God, and I guess there's some P's that I like to talk about when I when I talk about my sermons. I uh, uh, I pray, I pray about the sermon. God, what is it that you want me to preach of? I, Preaching is an awesome responsibility. You can't just take it lightly or take it for granted. And if God call you, I think you need to get your instructions from God. So I pray about, God, what is it that you want me to preach? Then the second P, I plan. I, after I pray to God and God impresses upon me, we don't me to, I plan the sermon. I plan the, the text I'm going to use, the points I'm going to use, the title, the illustrations, uh, just, just all on a, just a, some sheets of paper, not in any particular order. But these are things that I want to. Uh, d- use when i actually put the sermon together so i pray about it then i plan it and 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 then i prepare that's when i take all those scriptures and titles and things that's all mixed up there and i kind of put it in some type of a uh, preaching on and preaching style by by writing out uh, uh the sermon so I, pre- I prepare by putting the thoughts uh on the paper and then the last period i preach the sermon i and uh i i, I encourage pastors that when God gives you a sermon to preach, after you prayed about it, after you've planned and after you prepared, preach it with passion. I, I believe in passion preaching. Uh, we do so many other things with passion, but, but some of us, for whatever the reason, don't put that same passion into our preaching. I believe we need to preach it like we believe it. <laughs> and, and, and it's so exciting to us it should come across from the pulpit that he really believes that. And and because the people can know if you're just saying words, or if this is something you have a conviction about. So uh, preach with passion, give it all you got, give it. I never forget the, uh, I was preaching at this church about twenty people, man, and I was just huffing and puffing, blowing, spitting, and slobbering and all that. And this member came up to me after, said, "Pastor, man, you were preaching up there like there were two hundred people." I said, "Man, you never know when it's your last time. Whenever you do something for God, give it your best. Whether it's twenty people, two hundred people, or two thousand people, give it your best. Don't cheat the other people because of the number that's in the pew."
0: Fred, I, uh, I remember I uh, it was a, one of the most electric moments in, in my 30-plus years on the platform of the Southern Baptist Convention, an electric moment when you were elected president. Wow. Uh, I remember that you were unopposed uh, yes. the very first term, and the usual procedure uh, when there's only one candidate is for the registration secretary to step up to the microphone and to cast the ballot of the convention. Yes. I remember Bryant Wright told me, we, we were anticipating that, and Bryant said, you know, he said, I just people have been so eager yes. to see Fred elected. I, is there something they could do to participate in that and and not just watch the formula take place? And I said, well, uh, sure, Bryant, why don't you just ask them that if they, if they affirm that, would they uh, raise their ballots or would they stand and I remember it was such an electric moment that I I forgot for a moment that I'm supposed to be impartial <laughs> about all of this. And one of the reporters later said that the convention parliamentarian Barry McCarty could be overheard saying, "Wow," <laughs> but I did. It it was just uh, it was just a wow moment when you were elected and then it was such a pleasure to serve with you and uh, you're just one of the dearest sweetest leaders I, I've ever known so thank you so much for being with us here on thank preaching source today thank
1: you back it's an honor to see you again to be here with you and again I say uh, I thank God for your role every year at the SBC convention serving as a parliamentarian we the presidents of this convention could not do it. You make us look good, brother. I promise you. Thank you for the honor of being with you on this morning.
0: It's a pleasure. Our guest today on Preaching Source has been Dr. Fred Luter, senior pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church in New Orleans and past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Brother Fred, thank you for being here. Thank you, Barry. It's a joy.